On this show, we cover the biggest news stories, give our fact-based opinions, and we also interview many great people from all over the fruited plains. These are the stories and experiences that make up the fabric of this great country. This isn't just any show. This is the Matt and Chan Show. Back to the Matt and Chan Show. We have the co-founder of Politics Now, Matt Zapon, on the show today. Matt, how are you doing, man? Wonderful. I hope everyone here can hear me just fine. I think we're going to be good. All the way out here in California and all the way from beautiful state of Pennsylvania. How are things in Pennsylvania right now? Well, it's good. Unfortunately, the dust has settled a bit on COVID in Pennsylvania. We have one of the highest mortality rates in the entire country. There's 561 people dead per million. That's higher than Florida by far. That's higher than Arizona by far. That's higher than Texas by far. I think it's about the sixth or seventh highest in the entire country. Brings me pain to hear that. And I mean, businesses have been absolutely destroyed here too. So really our governor saved nobody. He didn't help businesses. He didn't save lives. It's been disgusting. Unfortunately, my fellow citizens are rallying around him like he's trying to save lives, but I don't understand which lives. It's been very sad to see. And I honestly pray every night for the people who are related to the nursing home patients who lost their lives. As for new, as for new cases, it's been relatively okay in Pennsylvania. We've seen a bit of a spike, but it hasn't been too bad. Yeah, so I know that is it is hard to hear, like you said, the many lives lost to COVID-19, the business owners that we've seen across the country, especially in Pennsylvania, here in California, we are seeing it. We are seeing businesses on the brink of collapse, total destruction um, of their livelihoods. Um, and, and you see it firsthand. You know, you know business owners, you have friends, family, people that are trying to live life and try to still go out and try to still make sure that we're following measures. Um, I know that when we talked the last time, we talked about the different orders. I know California has its different stages to opening up. Um, how's it looking in Pennsylvania? Are you guys still on lockdown and limited? Like, what's it like going into stores? Is there a mask required, not required? Um, so you see, the goal, the goal post, it's interesting across a lot of states, but in Pennsylvania, I can speak for myself. The goal post keeps moving. I didn't realize that goal posts were able to move. It's, it's very, but we've literally set different goals throughout this entire pandemic. Obviously, the pandemic's evolving revolve with it but the absolute destruction of the economy the amount of people that were killed in nursing homes and that's what they were they were killed because they forced them in there they forced covid patients into nursing homes is absolutely disgusting i know we had a color system that we still abide by way before the first counties went green which was green was supposed to be the normal stage they changed the requirements for that which it wasn't that big of a deal now they just recently rolled back restaurants once again, they're blaming the bars and the restaurants for what the protesters did, which was spreading the COVID. And now, instead of having 50% occupancy, which every single restaurant owner has effectively come out and said that that's what they need to survive, they've limited restaurants to 25% in Pennsylvania. They can only sit 25% of their restaurant. A lot of restaurants have been closing down left and right. I know a lot of them locally have gone just to take out. They can't financially operate off 25%. It's not economic for them. So unfortunately, we are at a point where I think a lot of small businesses, specifically restaurants, are going to close. There is a mask mandate in Pennsylvania. It was decided unilaterally. It did not go through a process. I know a lot of different state representatives who are my friends, they've actually been on top of it. They've been trying 
to get the governor to rescind emergency powers. They want to make a new, I guess I don't, they want to make a new law that makes the emergency powers limited to about two or three weeks. So this can't happen again in the future. There's been a lot of fighting back and forth in Harrisburg, which is the state capital of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And unfor- unfortunately, it's just going downhill once again because our governor is making a lot of decisions by himself. I know our Secretary of Health, Dr. Levine, they have been making a lot of poor decisions regarding this. But once again, like I said, the media, they paint them as heroes. So that's how people view them somehow. Yeah, we see it. We see it even in New York. We see Como. He's he's praised as yeah. his hero. We see him in the news, and I think just the what I've heard from different pundits and stuff is just the the way that he can go out there and address and he use. There's different tactics that you can use to help message to make sure you look like a leader, even though he's made all these mistakes. The way the perception, the people, oh man, at least he's doing something. And like we've always seen, yep. when a leader comes out, hey, we're going to make change, and it's like doesn't matter if it's good or bad. When a leader comes out, hey, we're going to make change, they never know. And we're seeing that with the way like the nursing homes in New York, the thousands that have died. Yes. And they let this policy yeah. and continue and continue, and you know it. Um, yeah. And we're seeing it still. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, Pennsylvania seems to always just be a step behind Cuomo. I know a lot of the national attention is still on New York due to the sheer amount of COVID cases they had and the deaths that they've had, unfortunately. And God bless everyone in that state. I know it's not everyone's fault that this happened. It's really no one's fault it happened other than China. But it's honestly a terrible thing to see any deaths, and I feel terrible for anyone that's had to suffer through this, even if they survived. I'm sure it's not super fun to get. So it's just sad to see New York, and every time New York seems to make a measure, such as not allowing people to go to the bars unless they buy food, Pennsylvania is next to follow. Yeah, and and so Matt, I'm going to throw a little curveball question at you. So we've seen the leadership, the governor, and the different people that have been in charge in Pennsylvania. If you were governor of the state of Pennsylvania, what were what would be some of the things you would want to implement in the state to make sure that businesses can operate? Would you would you enact a mandatory mask mandate? Like, what would be some of the things that you would you would approach a situation? I know it's young and and so from this perspective, of, yes. So, yep. So do you want me to pretend like I'm at the beginning of this pandemic or if I picked up right now? Um, let's say beginning, give your quick, like what, what you'd see at the beginning and then we'll like fast forward to now. Yes. So had I been governor at the beginning of this pandemic, the absolute first step I would have taken was protecting the nursing homes. I know, unfortunately, they're the most vulnerable. That's where a lot of the deaths have happened in Pennsylvania. We actually have one of the highest percentage of nursing home deaths in the entire country, unfortunately. And what I would have done was forced them, rather than forcing them into nursing homes, I would have said, hey, go to the hospital like everyone else. They'll help you in the hospital. They're better suited to handle pandemics and viruses and everything of the sort. We gave them 15 days to stockpile, and that's where the patients should be rather than putting them into nursing homes and having it spread faster. I think that would have been the first thing I would have done. Secondly, I think I would have revamped the color system a little better. To Wolf's credit, I think the way he shut down the state was better than a lot of other states, as a lot of other states just kind of immediately shut down and caused a lot of panic. Our state, I guess you could say, kind of numerically shut down. It shut down in one county and then another county, and it was just, it was piecemealy, I guess is what I should say. So... The way it shut down was okay, and I think I probably would have done it similarly, but the color coding system, like I said, would have been different. 
Unfortunately, with economic woes comes a lot of suicides. I know I read a report from California. There's been more suicides than COVID-related yep. deaths in California, right. mm-hmm. which is terribly, terribly sad. And what I would have done was whenever Pennsylvania – so red was, like, locked down. Yellow was restaurants aren't allowed to open, but retail can open 50%. And then green was supposed to be everyone can reopen and go back to normal and then just social distance and wear masks. It's obviously morphed from that point. So I think I read it would have been the stay at home. You know, the CDC had their thing till April 30th. They said, follow these guidelines. Obviously, we don't want to step on the toes of the CDC. So we would have done that. Come May 1st, what I would have done, I would have said, hey, this is obviously a very serious issue and grave issue. The problem is Pennsylvania is a very big state, and there are very many different ideologies and people and cultures in the state. So I would have went to the yellow phase, and I would have made my yellow phase a little different. Restaurants could reopen. Obviously, we could make retail reopen, everything like that. I would have said, yellow phase, May 1st. I'm going to give every county commissioner a week to see how it progresses. And then, because uh, every Friday they'd announce, like, new reopenings. So I'd say next Friday, if two of the three county commissioners tell me they want to open that county, I'll reopen it. And then by June 1st, every county would have been in the green phase. I know one of the other things, probably the third most important thing I would have done to prevent a lot of this, is a lot of angst among people whenever the government tried to unilaterally tell them how to do something. And like I said, I have a lot of trust in the process, and I have trust in many state reps and state senators. So had there been huge bipartisan support for a mask mandate, I wouldn't have vetoed it. One, because it probably would have got overturned. Secondly, because, like I said, if a lot of people support it, I would have as long as it wasn't too crazy. So I think those are three things I would have done at the beginning of the pandemic to make sure that Pennsylvania stayed safe, specifically the nursing home issue, and also that Pennsylvania could have a good economic recovery so we could prevent suicides and foreclosures. Yeah, and even a little different than, I know you still talked about wanting to close down and still kind of initiating a mask uh, to an extent, but then you have South Dakota, Christy Noem, how she didn't even close down her state and they've had different yeah. social distancing guidelines and kind of allowing people to have their freedom and individual right to choose and pretty yeah. much go out at your own risk. And, and people are still wearing masks and being cautious, I think. Mm-hmm. And what we've seen there is well, the well, cases are low. And um, Oh, sorry, yeah. what were you going to say there? South Dakota handled it wonderfully. I think that the federal government might have taken too much of an aggressive federal approach to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you can't compare the state of South Dakota to New York. Obviously, there needs to be different measures that the governors implement, which is good that they did. And I think that definitely the go- each governor had their own response, and it's probably better that way because every state is very different from the other. Exactly. I think, like you said, the federal government, everybody's like, oh, well, every state should be like this. And it's like, no, well, some of the yeah. rural areas where people are a little bit more separated apart – businesses are a little different every state's different i think that yep. was good on president trump hey let the local levels deal with what we've seen especially cities here in california we've seen states that are or not states but cities that are open and they're able to function and be like hey we're still social distancing i am still kind of uh uh we can angry at uh, gavin newsom and the fact that uh we can have all these stores open we have costco you got food max we got all these grocery stores and people are social distancing um debatable at times of what i've seen um, but then our churches, our churches here in California, not open yet. We've had a few people that have rebelled um, and have stayed open. But now with, uh, oh, with the Patriots, re- Patriots, yes, indeed. And and it's like, hey, we got the churches that are taking a stand. But what we've seen is 
Gavin and Gavin Newsom and his and in the orders like the the no singing in churches the and now I've heard talks of not even opening churches till 2021 is what I've heard so now you're missing out in the wow. whole fall winter you're missing out on Christmas and I've heard some pastors, they just need to say they're protesting they just need to say they're protesting they can't get the virus that way exactly and that's the way that the science works on the left that's what I've heard I've heard if it's a protest you can do it and you can gather. So actually, I've heard a lot of pastors say that. So Matt, you have a good point there. That's. <laughs> um, hey, that's what I say every time I go to the bar, and I don't even really like going to the bar. I just go as an act of protest. I go to support these small businesses and these employers who give so much money to the lifeblood of our community. I go to support them. I walk in and I make sure I made it. I make it very clear to my friends and the people with me. I say, hey, this is a protest. We are making sure that we are virus safe. And all I have to do is say we're at a protest according to the science gods. So that is all that matters. Yeah, exactly. So, Matt, let's get back on the topic of COVID-19, and then we can kind of move along. I know I wanted to hear about the Scott Pressler. You got to meet him, and I wanted to hear about some of that. Yes. So I, I'm really excited to hear some stories on that. So your three steps um, of, at the beginning of the protest, changing the zones, changing the way that you would have locked down, having restaurants open up in the yellow, different things like this to be able to have a good economic return post-COVID-19. So now I'm going to ask you, so now we got, like you said, 1,054 cases, 13 new deaths in Pennsylvania. Now we've seen a rise. What is your response? You got to be working with your people. What's your next step as governor here as after the response? Well, like I said, as governor, well, first off, I would have not incurred, I mean, obviously, here's the thing. I support any form of peaceful protest. I think peaceful protest is beautiful. I think it's wonderful. I think peaceful protest is patriotic. And obviously George Floyd was murdered, and I grieve for him and his family because it was, un- it was unjust what happened to him. Agreed. However, as governor, I would have said, hey, we just took two months. The economy's reopening. Everything's good. It's not a great idea to go out in these massive numbers and protest. And unfortunately, Governor Wolf went out and stood with the protesters, arm to arm, not socially distanced. He did wear a mask. But... He was under armless protesters. Not all of them were wearing masks. And I think that conveyed an image that the virus was over. And it's not just him. That would, you know, there were other governors and state senators and U.S. senators and everyone else. There were a lot of people who were engaging in this. But I think that sent a message to a lot of people that it was safe to go back out. And a lot of people stopped taking necessary precautions. And now it's at the point where there is a bit of a spike because of those reasons. Mm-hmm. And... A lot of people on the right are very distrustful now because they saw their governors and their state senators and everyone else that was saying how, oh, you need to lock down forever, lose your job, lose your friends, lose your family, you can't talk to anyone, you have to sit in your house all day. They saw that happen for a month and a half, some states even longer, and then they saw all these protests happen. So what I would have done, I would have got up on my podium, I would have said, hey, listen, the protests are a just protest, I'm not going to tell anyone disengaged in peaceful protesting. I, however, would not recommend this given the severity of this virus and how contagious it is. And I think that would have at least sent a message whenever it spiked again. They would have said, hey, this governor actually heard our plea. He understood the science behind this, that it wasn't a good idea. It wasn't a showboating or gaslighting or anything of the sort. So that's one thing I would have done. I think another thing I would have done, and don't quote me too much on this one, but I know for I know a little bit about this. I think I would have tried to get the COVID test kits, and I would have tried to streamline them more to the local pharmacies. A lot of them went to the hospitals, 
and that caused a lot of confusion, a lot of wait times. And this is through a lot of states, not just mine. But I think one of the big things I would have done, I would have tried to streamline as much as possible to your local neighborhood pharmacy. Mm-hmm. And we and we've seen that, and I think across the country, I think they there was this big push. And remember, at the beginning of COVID nineteen. They're saying, hey, we need to flatten the curve. We need to make sure that yeah. hospitals are ready for this this uh, resurgence in numbers or where pe- people are going to be able to go in, get the help that they need, and the potential that a vaccine would be ready. We're still not – we're still working on that is what I've heard. Um, and, and now we we're see – We're close. We're close is what I've heard, um, and hopefully that is soon. I know – and I know you were talking about the reopening, the economic impacts, uh, restaurants as well. But we've seen in Pennsylvania, we've seen the numbers of people from the ages of zero to four, less than a percent, less a little bit more than a percent from ages five to twelve, three percent, thirteen to eighteen, nine percent are ages nineteen to twenty-four. This is from twenty-seven News, Pennsylvania, um, and they're just showing the 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 ages fifteen percent here of of um, that are are uh, would you say is uh, would have the chances of getting COVID nineteen. And now the big fight for in the news is schools. Are schools going to open up in the fall? What are, what's what's going on in Pennsylvania right now with the schools? I heard the CDC just put out some new stuff today. I'm going to pull that up here in a bit about them wanting schools to be open, that the likeliness of children getting sick. I think the more concern is for teachers that are going back, and we've heard a big push. What's going on in Pennsylvania right now with, with teachers, students, and are you guys going back to school, or is it going to be online remote learning again? Well, so I can give you a few different perspectives. I go to college in Pennsylvania. At the college, it is reopening. I know professors hmm. are being given the option if they want to hold classes online, they can. If they want to hold them in person, they can do that too. There's some different guidelines. They can only have so many people. But overall, the college, at least my college, is reopening. I know for the school districts, we actually got into this whole fiasco not that long ago with building a new high school. It was very contentious, and it wasn't very thought out. It was a, it was, it was just a mess, right? And now we're still paying for this mess. It was supposed to be an $88 million project, which we don't have. It turned out being a $110 million project. And it's still not done, unfortunately. They actually are – they're almost done. I'll give them that. They're very close to getting done. But they've actually delayed the high school, and not for COVID reasons, but for – the high school is not really done. They've delayed the high school from reopening until the end of September – as for the elementary schools, from my understanding, they are to open at a normal time. I know kids are going to wear masks. They're going to try to socially distance as much as possible. And I know I've talked to a lot of different teachers. A lot of my teacher friends from high school on the left, obviously, they don't want to reopen. I've spoken to a lot of my teachers that were on the right, which actually a decent amount of them, which is surprising. And they've been very, I guess you could say, open to the idea of reopening. They actually want it to happen. They think it's good for the children's mental health. I mean, we look at the numbers right here. Like you said, the children have a virtually 0% chance of dying, virtually zero. A lot of teachers are older, though. They do have a chance. So I think there needs to be a safe way to do this. I think that the school boards need to figure that out. There can maybe be some state influence on some common sense rules like making cafeteria workers wear masks and gloves, which they usually already did. But overall, it's going to be a tough thing, and I think the school boards are going to have to be the ones that handle it. Every school district is very, very individual, and we'll have to see what they do. Yeah, and I, I think I'd have to agree with that. I think it's like you want to make sure it's safe for students to come back. You want to make sure it's safe for teachers when they come back. And you look at, like, with remote learning, um, and that's what actually in Fresno – 
Um, it looks like most schools and college campuses are going to be online to start the school year. Fresno Pacific, my school, they just switched over to uh, online learning for the semester. And it had been a while. We were wondering, are we going to be going back to campus? They talked about getting classrooms, classrooms ready for uh, to make sure that we're going to have limited capacity. Teachers are going to be protected by plexiglass. It's going to be a different a different learning environment for sure that people are going to have to adapt to. And it sounds good. Pennsylvania, that's some good news that students, it looks like more than likely students are going to be heading back to schools. And I think it's going to vary, like you said, locally. Um, it's good to see the CDC is saying, hey, the percentage is very, very low for children to get. Yeah. Um, and we're seeing, and I know the CDC, we've seen, a lot of information we've seen. We've seen with Dr. Fauci, the stuff that he's come out. You should wear masks. You should not wear masks. It's been a flip-flop issue. Um, and we see we see the games the media loves to play. I think that you see it every day. You know, it's Ted Cruz gets yeah. backlash for wearing for taking off his mask to drink something on a plane. Um, and then you see Dr. Fauci take off his mask yesterday. And it's kind of a back and forth. It's like both both sides were playing. It's like, okay, are they going to do it? And it, it's kind of a gotcha yeah. gotcha game at this at this point of, okay, who's doing this? Yeah. Who's doing this? And then we look at Portland. We got all the violence that's occurring there. 57 days of protesting there. The bloodshed. Wow. And and, we, and there's so much going on in this country. And, and I just – it's quite remarkable just to see what's going on and seeing how – Trump wants to send federal troops in, and then governors are saying, no, we don't want the help. Um, and then you see what happened in Baltimore where they asked President Trump, hey, we need uh, $500 million to uh, repair or damage to the city after they didn't ask, they didn't need the help. Um, yeah. And, and you see it, and I, I don't know, Pennsylvania, is there, is there a lot of stuff going on in Pennsylvania? I'm not, I'm not particularly... I mean, there. we've had protests. I know in Philadelphia, it, got, it wasn't super violent. I think they burned something. And I know in Pittsburgh there was, like, a police car that was burned or something. Overall, in Pennsylvania, it's been fairly under control, though. That's I know my, my hometown of Altoona, they had a peaceful protest. Like I said, I have no problem with peaceful protests. Exactly. I support peaceful protests in general. They're good, and it's good to get your voice heard in a peaceful and meaningful way. So I was glad to see it stay peaceful in my hometown. A lot of hometown people said the same thing, and I know a lot of people in their respective hometowns also said that they stayed safe in Pennsylvania. Yep, and, I, and even Fresno, I like Fresno, they went around just right after the George Floyd incident that happened, the terrible, tragic death of George Floyd. And I don't think anybody justified what that cop did, Derek Chauvin. Um, and what we saw is we saw peaceful protests here in Fresno, and we've seen peaceful protests Good. right after that. We've seen Back to Blue rallies just yesterday. There was one yesterday in, uh, in downtown Fresno, and, and we're seeing that people, are, people have the right to go out and peacefully protest. We're all for it. If people are wearing masks and they want to social distance, even though it doesn't look at times people are social distancing, but as long as you're safe and you want to go out, you have that right, our First Amendment right to go out and yeah. peacefully petition. But like what we've seen is yeah. governors allow violence, just children as young as a year, maybe in months, be killed in their homes. We've seen violence occur all across the country. And it, it's scary out there. I just feel lucky and blessed to be at least in a city and a state, at least for the time being, has been so somewhat uh, less violent than other places. But, yeah, no, it's, yeah. A, it's a lot of stuff going on, man, a lot of stuff going on. Um, so, let's, oh, yeah. so, yeah, uh, let's hop into that next next question. Um, so, or actually, a little bit more about your experience that you had here recently with Scott Pressler, part of the persistence movement. Yeah. You want to tell us a little bit about Scott Pressler? I actually briefly know him. Um, I don't know if you want to tell me a little bit about him. Sure, yeah, absolutely. One of the most friendly people I've ever met in politics. Very personable. I talk, The first time I met him and talked to him in person, it was like I've known him forever. I mean, he was super personable. 
conversation was never dry. He is just a very positive force for the Trump campaign and the conservative movement in general. He has very good messaging. I think a lot of people will actually need to kind of, I don't want to say copy, but if they adopt some of his ideas, I think it'd be a good thing. For example, I know whenever I first met him, so I, I sent him a DM on Twitter and I asked him if he wanted to come to State College. That literally was as easy as it was to get him up there. And then State College there in Center County, Center County Republicans paid him to go up there. So the first night I met him in Center County, we went to a restaurant and he was telling us about just all the different experiences, how people yell at him sometimes because he supports Trump. And all he tries to do is just play with their logic. He says, hey, listen, this is not a campaign of hatred. This is a campaign of love. I'm here to explain to you what my ideas are. If you want to explain to me what your ideas are, that's fine. But I think that there is a room for discourse as long as it is peaceful. And it was interesting to hear about him going to different cities like Baltimore. That's where he became famous with the Baltimore cleanup that he did. And obviously he's been all over the country. He's down the spot going to San Francisco, going to Los Angeles, going to Chicago. He's been all over. And it's great to see he's registering a ton of people to vote. He's creating a very positive image where he's cleaning up cities. Yeah, and it's it's great. He's going into communities. He's cleaning up these communities, picking up trash, helping people with these different projects across the country. And I and I and that's actually where I started looking into to Scott Pressler. And I I had heard his name floated around, and I know you talked about meeting him. I'm like, wow, this is a really cool guy. And I had to look into it. And he's got a big following on Twitter, 400 plus thousand followers and he's been he, oh, he's at 700,000 now oh he's, he's se- 700,000 now 700 all right well he needs to update his website uh no <laughs> scott's listening to this um yeah no i i pulled some stuff off his off his main website about the persistence and just looking how you can yeah. get involved in and in some of the statistics he had on there so um man it's good that people are getting back behind uh scott pressler maybe somebody that's eventually i don't know what his what he's looking at political office, but it looks like he's doing a lot of work politically to to get people voting. There's their civil duty. Um, yeah, I think people forget. I, I always a misconception here, especially in California, is your vo- your vote doesn't matter. Um, and That's very untrue. It's very untrue. And what we see is every presidential election, we only see a percentage. What is it? I don't know what the exact percentage. Don't quote me. I always hear about like not, not even half the country even votes at times. In some of these elections, yeah. the voter turnout. Most of the time for presidential, most of the time for presidential elections, it's a little over fifty. I know, for example, twenty sixteen was like fifty five percent. It was around there, and I know it was a little higher in two thousand eight and twenty twelve. But back, looking back, I know in like the nineties, whenever Bill Clinton was running, that was probably two of the lowest turnouts we've had in history. Yeah. And, and people don't get motivated to go out and vote. And people I often talk to, some of the early questions is like, hey, it's like, hey, you have all these issues with the way our system works and the different things. But it's like, oh, um, do you go out and vote? Do you, uh, do you look at the propositions in your state of different things, especially here in California? Yeah. Prop 6, we had a gas tax in November, and I really pushed hard to not have this implemented. And there was a lot of things in there that people didn't know about. And California, very classic left state. You put out an initiative. Oh, it's the Safe Save uh, Parks and Something Act, and people vote for it. Oh yes, it's awesome. Um, and and they push this through, and it, it's a gas increase. The state has a control over it. Um, it doesn't need voter voter approval anymore to raise that at any time um, to fund state yeah. projects. Um, but we we uh-huh. don't. Oh, sorry. What was that? Uh, I was just agreeing with you. Oh yeah yeah yeah. So we see it all across. Uh, 
But yeah, a little bit. Let's get back to Scott Presser. I know I'm getting into the California, the icky, the ickiness of politics here in California. So, hey, you're fine. You're fine. So, but yeah, so I met Scott. I met Scott the first night at dinner. It was a Friday evening. I drove to State College, and we, that's where Penn State University is out of, by the way. So I met I met Scott Pressler up there for the first time. It was just he was there and a few other people from the Center County Republican Party, and then I was the only person from Blair County that came up. And we had a very nice dinner. He talked to us a little bit. And then the next day we went to a bar, and there were about, I don't know how many people were there, maybe like 50-some. And we all sat there. He gave a really good speech. It was a really good event. It was two weeks ago today. And he was talking about just different ways to get people engaged. I know one of the easiest ways to do it, he said, carry voter registration forms with you everywhere you go. If you see people in Trump gear, if you see people in Republican gear, you know, say they're wearing, I don't know who ran for Republican governor in California. I forget his name in 2018. For example, in Pennsylvania, if you see someone wearing Scott Wagner for governor, someone wearing Blue Boy Letter for Senate, someone wearing Donald Trump for president, anything like that, make sure you go up to them and say, hey, are you registered to vote at your current address? And I don't want to spoil too much of Scott's event because I know he likes going around and telling people. But I know that's just one simple thing that we need to all be doing is we need to engage with people whenever they're wearing pro-Republican, pro-conservative merchandise. And we want to make sure that they are definitely registered to vote because those are the absolute easiest people to get registered to vote to vote for our candidates. Yep, and what we've seen is the excitement for President Donald Trump. You won't see it on CNN, CSNBC. Um, you won't see the excitement. And I think that's one thing that we've seen in the polls. And, and by the way, I know you said governor in California. It was John Cox who overwhelmingly won okay. a lot of the Valley. Um, and what we saw is, oh, sweet, uh, Cox was actually in the lead early early voting, of course, when you started seeing stuff come in. Second, San Francisco, L.A. hit. You just saw it flip. And it's it just... done. <laughs> it's, it's done. That's how it works in Pennsylvania. It... That's how it works in Pennsylvania, too. It, it's sad. Um, I just it's the way elections go. People are going to vote, especially when you got these big cities like L.A. and San Francisco that drive the policy here and uh, have screwed farmers over for many years. I know I'm going to have Kevin Cookingham on the podcast this next week. He's running against Jim Costa, and Jim Costa has been in politics for 40 years, just like Joe Biden has, and he's yeah. been hurting. The people here are hurting here in, in Fresno, and it, we need to see some leadership here. We have Devin Nunez, and that's about it. Valadeo lost his seat to T.J. Cox in the last election. A lot of it coming from the ballot harvesting, um, and we've seen over and over again, especially in California, votes come in, they trickle in. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, what happened here? Uh, the leads, they just they dwindle. We've seen people go. I think Teixeira, he went. I think he ran three times. He's in D.C. He's about to get inaugurated. And then they go, actually, we have some votes that came in. Jim Costa, you're back in office again. And we're like, what? What happened? Like That was a chance people felt energized to go out and vote for Teixeira. And then all of a sudden, uh, Jim Costa wins again. And like you said, Pennsylvania, the same way. California. And it's the election. We got to get people registered to vote. I, I love what Scott Pressler is yep. doing. It's these are the people that you need. You need these patriots that are going to go out and and stand up for what is right. It's it's right and wrong right now in this next election, the referendum on Donald Trump, or are we going to have a whole new ideolo ideology come in and step in? We have socialism. That is, that is creeping in with the Democrat leadership. We've seen it over and over. People like AOC, uh, Nancy Pelosi, that just want to implement these social policies um, all, yeah. all at the expense it's of... Yeah, it's it, it is really scary. And I, I was listening... Who was I listening to? Uh, Dennis Prager the other day. Dennis Prager, great guy. Great for the conservative movement. Even though PragerU is considered hate speech now, um, we don't have 
that's how YouTube, they've had YouTube censor them. And they've been censored everywhere. But he was saying something that I thought was interesting was, is the way that history, when it's taught, they always, they always tie things to the right. They go, oh, well, the Nazis, it was right wing. It was nationalism. Donald Trump's a nationalist. That means he's Hitler. Um, but the thing is, you never hear about is, you never hear anything about, they always tie that to the right. What about the left? We've seen communism. And what we saw in the 20th century, 100 million people die from socialism. Yeah. And we yeah. never hear about it. And I, I don't think I don't think people realize this either. Political ideology is kind of like a horseshoe. My one friend described it this way the one day. I think it was good. Inevitably, the far, far right, like Nazism, and the far, far left, like communism, they're almost identical. I mean, either way, you're going to get killed. You have your rights stripped away. People die. People suffer. It's disgusting what happens. So you don't want to go too far either way, which I know we agree on already. Yep. But you're right. They do try to tie Donald Trump to all this. The thing I don't understand, if you look at people's ideology that are running for president this year, Donald Trump is actually a lot more moderate and closer to center than Joe Biden is. Joe Biden is farther left than Donald Trump is right. The only difference is Donald Trump's rhetoric is not as polished, so he comes off as more right-wing. And Joe Biden has very, well, okay, I don't know how to put Joe Biden's rhetoric right now. His staffers that tweet for him have very polished rhetoric. Yep. And I think I think that's what I think what we have to look at when people look at what they're voting for and what we've seen across the country in in means of just big changes like defunding the police. I think majority yeah. of Americans don't want to see police leave their neighborhoods. It's something that that's, especially African Americans, especially African Americans. Newsom did a poll, and the African American people were the people who wanted to see it the least. They wanted to they don't they don't want the police defunded. Yeah, especially, like you said, and just not African-American, but minority communities, because this is where the crime is happening, and you can get into that. It's a whole other discussion about the crime rate, especially in a lot of these neighborhoods and businesses that are that are being pretty much looted and, and robbed and just taken, and the destruction is just awful. Um, but it's, I think, like you said, Trump on a lot of things, like very, very moderate, and I think with Donald Trump, you see somebody that wants to get things done. It's We see it in yeah. everything. People go, oh, well, Trump's this warmonger, but he came in and says, let's stop having these endless wars. And I think most people agree with that. People don't want to be stuck yeah. in the Middle East for another 20 years. People want to see people mm-hmm. come home. A lot of people believe America should come first. And so I got some statistics here of people that are – that at this point we've seen cancel culture take over the whole country. We've seen people yep. just we've seen Goya beans, Hispanic and the number one Hispanic company in the United States get canceled, and then we saw the boycott by conservatives to go out and help support Goya. Um, and we've seen that. So the Cato Institute did a, did some uh, research study. And this is sixty two percent of Americans don't feel they can voice their political opinions. And a, I saw that. Yep, and a whopping 77% of Republicans fear some sort of backlash for being outed as a Trump-supporting conservative. And it, we see it all across the country. And I think come November, I Pennsylvania, Joe Biden has a six-point lead is what I saw from Real Clear Politics before starting the interview. And I was just like, and we've seen him winning by 8 to 14 points. I don't know if you had anything... Um, do you, what the what the vibe is in in Pennsylvania? Is it is it more Trump? Is it more Biden? I know it's it it it, it, it flips, but uh, but do you think Biden has a, a six to maybe eight point lead in Pennsylvania at the moment? So I'll say right now, Joe Biden does not have a six to eight point lead. I've seen double digit polls too. He does not have a double digit lead hey, Fox, in Pennsylvania. Fox News, Fox if News I has had, been putting it out too. 
<laughs> yeah. So. If I had to take a guess, just because of Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, I would say that he is leading in Pennsylvania in general. But the truth of the matter is, Hillary Clinton was leading in Pennsylvania on election day, and a lot of people just didn't bother to go out to vote for her. So if there's no enthusiasm behind Joe Biden, who knows where this pandemic is going to be in November? If people aren't motivated enough, they aren't thinking about mail-in ballots, if people don't want to go to the polls, that could really hamper him. That could really, really hurt his vote count. As for my area of Pennsylvania, I'm in the most conservative part of the state. I'm in central Pennsylvania. It's the most conservative part of the state. So obviously there's Trump flags everywhere. There's Trump signs everywhere. There's Trump shirts, Trump masks, Trump hats, Trump buttons, Trump bumper stickers, Trump cutouts. It's everywhere. But obviously I haven't been to Philadelphia area, the suburbs in southeast Pennsylvania. Probably a different story out there. I know even suburban Pittsburgh area is very conservative. I know I went there not that long ago to visit my friend for his birthday. It was May. And I saw a lot of Trump flags, Trump signs. Not as much as central Pennsylvania, but I did see it a lot. So, and, and Matt, I have to say, like you said, I'd have to say, I in, in California, I have yet to see a Joe Biden sign. Yeah, I've seen about two Joe Biden signs in Pennsylvania so far. I know that there are a lot of businesses that have Trump flags, and it is great to see. I mean, businesses are people, like, businesses are benefiting great from Donald Trump. They're not going to benefit from Joe Biden. Joe Biden's going to raise their taxes. He admitted that. Individuals are not going to benefit from Joe Biden. He admitted he's going to raise the taxes on the middle class. Yep. Yeah, what we've seen is with Joe Biden, he wants to continue to raise taxes on the middle class. I know a lot of people, the yep. cost of living is going to continue to go up under Joe Biden. People think that Joe Biden's going to come in. And like you've seen, the different people on his staff, they're the ones really running his campaign. And and what we've seen is he goes back into the basement, he comes out, does a media presser, and even those with having the teleprompter don't always go the right way for him. And we've seen we've seen even the online campaign events haven't been going very well for him. But he continues to lead in the polls like we saw with Hillary Clinton in 2016. And we're just seeing a repeat, and we see the Democrats continue to, to boast about these great numbers that they're, be, they're beating Donald Trump. Um, and as I said in our interview yesterday with Stephen Davis, that they're counting their chickens before they hatch once again, and it's up to that silent majority, the people that need to get out and vote in November. Like Scott Pressler is getting people out, you're getting people registered. We're doing that here in Fresno as well, and it's going to yeah. be a fight till November third, um, and even after. Yeah. <laughs> um, so one, one. Oh, sorry. Just one more thing. I want just one more thing I wanted to add on that topic. I think a lot of people too need to focus really in Warren Trump's message and his policies rather than Donald Trump the person, because it's, I think this is just a fact. This isn't really an opinion. Donald Trump is not a popular human being. He makes a lot of statements that are not always the best, but the thing is his policies, for the most part, not you know, you can't agree with everyone 100%, but for the most part his policies have benefited my community. They've benefited America at large, and we want to make sure that the policies continue. So we need to focus on those. Yep, and I'd have to agree with that. I've seen we've seen it over and over again. Record low unemployment for all minority groups. We've seen it for yeah. We've seen the the economy under President Trump, and even Joe Biden's trending and leading Trump even in the economy, which I think is ridiculous. That's coming out from Fox News, and even Fox News has yeah, slipped. I saw that. <laughs> Fox News has slipped in a lot of stuff as well. I think the only person I really tune into is Tucker, and and a lot of the country does, especially when he's the number one. At least he was the number one cable 
TV show watched last month than I think even for the last two months. He's very popular. People people want the truth. And I think that's what I think with President Trump, like you said, you don't have to like the person. You have to. It's about the policies and what he gets done. I always talk about if you ever got a boss you don't like, that's a Donald Trump. You don't have to like the guy, but if he's delivering the results, he's delivering the results. And he's not going to be here forever. I, I don't even know what the news media is going to do after President Trump's out of office. They're not going to they're going to be like, whoa, we don't have President Trump. Are they just going to follow him around everywhere he goes after he's not be, he's done being well, president? <laughs> if, you, if you want to hear what happens after he's done being president, instantly his opinion will become valid whenever he criticizes another Republican president. Because, I mean, we saw George W. Bush completely demonized in 2008. By 2008, George W. Bush was hated by the media. He's completely demonized. They literally used the same things against Trump they used against him. And now suddenly he has a sacred opinion because he's not 100% on board with Trump which is fine. I don't really care. I still like George W. Bush. I've not, I hold nothing against him or his family. They served our country. They've done a lot of good things for our country. But it's just crazy to see the reversal. I mean, he was hated in 2008 by the media, and yeah. suddenly he has not great opinion of Donald Trump, and he becomes immaculate to them. It's just crazy to see. So I could imagine, you know, if Nikki Haley's the next president, Ted Cruz, Mike Pence, whoever, whoever's the next Republican president, if Donald Trump ever criticizes them in any way, it will be, oh, this this man, he uh he wasn't great, but look at all these great things he actually did do that we didn't focus on. He doesn't like this person. This person's bad and racist and homophobic and xenophobic and Islamophobic and whatever phobic. Yep, hundred <laughs> percent, man. You just you gotta. I think that was a like you said, and and what we've seen after. I know the the Bushes they've come out, and and what we've seen now in the Republican parties, you have the Trump, the populist more, and the new kind of brand of conservatism, and we got the people that are. The, the rhino rhino republicans you have the never trumpers and um, yeah i don't want to call i don't want to call all never trumpers rhinos though there's i mean there are conservative criticisms of donald trump if you're talking about the lincoln projects they're complete grifters they don't even believe in conservative values they're not even attacking him over things like big budgets which i personally don't like or style they're attacking him over trying to get rid of obamacare which is what we fought for for 10 years yep and they're also they're only advertising on msnbc which how many republicans even watch that so mm-hmm. The Lincoln Project, those people are grifters. Those are people I am not a fan of. I can't classify every never-Trumper as a rhino. Yeah, but there no, are conservative criticisms of the president. But overall, would I rather vote with someone who maybe agrees with me on 6 out of 10 issues or someone who agrees with me on probably 2 out of 10 issues? I'm going to vote for the person who agrees with me on 6 out of 10 issues. Yeah, but that was not what I was trying to do there, but I'm just saying what we've no, seen. I know, what you're saying. Yeah. I know. I know. That's just, I know some people have taken it that way before. I just wanted to clarify my stance on it, and I know we share a lot of stances. So I figured you shared that, too. I just know I've had people that are on the Republican side. They have gotten upset before, but I just wanted to let them know we don't consider them all rhinos. Yep, exactly. I don't want to make sure that that's clarified. Thank you, Matt, for doing that. I know I don't want there any misinterpretations here on the Matt and Chan show. Um, yeah, because that's a it's it's a very it could be like you said it could be one policy or two policies and and like you said who's gonna who's gonna match that who's gonna like you said six out of ten versus two out of ten on the majority of things and what we've seen so thanks for the clarification on that but yeah no we're seeing like you said right now Donald Trump Joe Biden uh, one of the biggest elections as we always say every election elections have consequences and we'll see what happens November third so let's move on we got politics now. Um, it's growing. Matt Chancho's growing. We've seen yep. our two platforms grow. Let's let's hear an update Good. on what's going on. Yeah, so politics now has gone to a point where we would rather focus on quality over quantity. We were originally doing two articles a week. 
we're going to focus on just doing an article every Saturday or Sunday. You get more viewers that day, maybe Friday too. You get more viewers on that day. You get a lot more positive responses whenever people have time to work on their articles. So, barring special events, like I know on the 4th of July, I wrote a little piece for the 4th of July, same with Memorial Day. But barring those, we're going to have our main articles on Saturdays or Sundays or possibly Friday nights. We want to make sure that we're putting out quality articles. We want to make sure that we're inviting people into the movement. Once again, politics now is not a conservative or a liberal movement. Politics now is sharing people's opinions from left and right and also sharing news which we do mainly on the Twitter. We share a lot of news articles and breaking news, and, pull, and we run polls on the Twitter. So just to anyone listening, I don't care if you are a liberal, a conservative, a moderate, a centrist, whatever. If you want to write articles for Politics Now, please let me know. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Matt Zupon. My DMs should be open. I believe they are. If not, you can just reach out to me on Twitter through a comment. I'd be happy to take any content. Uh, we believe that hate speech is free speech, but we do not promote hate speech on our website. That is the one thing that I'm not doing with the website. But we do want opinions from all sides, so please, please write for us if you're if you're interested. Thanks, Matt, for that great thing. I know I'm excited to see what Politics Now has in store. We get I'm assuming you guys get new writers each and every week. We get new articles. I know I love to hear that you guys are all about the quality versus quantity. I think it's easy to go out put out a lot of content, but who wants to put out um, bad content when you could put out quality content so it's good to hear great things with politics now we're seeing an ever-growing movement of people young conservatives people that are classically liberal and like you said you invite everybody in to write let's hear let's have some dialogue we don't have enough of it now and it's 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 almost rare nowadays most of it turns into a screaming match and we see it on tv unfortunately and yeah, and yeah people, unfortunately and it's and it's both sides. I just think it's we got to have that dialogue. We can't move forward. Yeah. We can't we can't propose new ideas. We need to have ideas so we can see. Hey, what do we need to do as a country moving forward? So yeah, Matt. I don't know if you have any closing thoughts. Um, it was great having you on. I always have a great conversation when you come on. I know. I think we had Chandler on the last time. I know Chandler's busy today. I know I usually do. We've been kind of switching it up a little bit. Kind of, kind of getting a lot of interviews. We're kind of backloaded. I know we got a lot of great content coming up, but yeah, I don't know if you had any closing thoughts. Yeah, I guess my closing thought. You know, these are troubling times for a lot of people. It's scary. It's un- uncertain. I think that's the big thing. There's violence in the streets. Just remember, America always gets through, and it comes out the other end stronger every single time. You see World War Two, World War One, Spanish Flu, the Civil Rights Riots of the 1960s. Every single time, we fall into crisis. We come out the other side of that crisis, and we are stronger than ever. We are more unified, and that's the beauty of America is that we have this open dialogue. We can talk with each other. We can see which idea is best, which, admittedly, my ideas aren't always the best. That's okay. That's that's fair to admit. And we take whatever the best idea is. We move forward. We learn from our mistakes, and we keep this country great, which is what I hope every single American can pledge to do is talk to your neighbors, be kind to those who are kind to you even if they disagree with you, and obviously we're blessed to live in this country, so I hope everyone remains very grateful for living here. Well said, Matt. Well said. We'll catch you later, Matt. It was great talking to you. We'll have you on Thank soon. You. Um, I'd love to do some kind of – I know you, we're talking about ideas, and I think with election right around the corner, I think I'd love to have a panel with you guys at Politics Now and maybe do something. Yeah. What are some ideas to make America greater, America stronger, and America overall better in this next election whoever is the next president 
Um, and I think it'd be good to get some different ideas. I know we have a lot of our group chat and our different things going on. I think we got to have those discussions. I think it's important. Exactly. I agree. I agree with you. Awesome, Matt. Well, we'll catch you later. It was great having you on, and we'll see you next time. Hey, thank you so much. Hey, guys. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that episode with Matt Zapon, founder of Politics Now. And make sure to go check out our last episode with Stephen Davis, MAGA Hulk, one of the biggest Trump supporters I know. Great episode, great interview. That one's on YouTube, so make sure to go check that one out. Make sure to like and subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, and we'll see you guys next time.